December 16th, 2022, this morning's class and the classes throughout the week were and are donated in loving memory of Audrey Levy, alayha shalom, Hanabat Rachel by the Levy family. We're in Masechet Sanhedrin and Pehe Amud Bet. If you count from the top, it's six lines down at the Mishnah. The Mishnah continues what we re- learned about in the first Mishnah of the Perik. The first Mishnah of the Perik told, told us, Elohen Hanechenakim. These are the following cases where if a person does this wrong deed, if a person transgresses, they get the mitat chenek, they get the uh, death execution from Betin of chenek of strangulation. The first on that list was hamake et avive etimot. This Mishnah then will fill in the details with regards to that. The next Mishnah will deal with the next law that was mentioned in the Mishnah, that was gonev nefesh, if a person kidnaps another. But let's deal first with this Mishnah, hamake avive imot, these are words that we saw already cited in the Gemara. Uh, the statement of the Mishnah then, and we derive this from Pasuk and Bet, is that a person is only liable for death penalty with regards to striking, hitting their mother or father if they were Osebahen Habura, if they brought forth blood. Now, the blood doesn't need a uh, come out, so to speak, but rather, even if it's a black and blue mark, but it means that it can't just be pushing, I mean, it shouldn't be even that, but with regards to the death penalty, there needs to be a bruise to the extent that it's known as a habura in order to be hayav mita. The Gemara derived it, if you recall, from a pasuk, ironically, uh, that was uh, written by Makeh Behema. The pasuk over there mentioned the word nefesh, and the understanding was you didn't need that to be referenced by a behema. The idea was nefesh in the Torah is associated with blood, and the reference of striking and bringing forth blood, which was unnecessarily mentioned by an animal, was in turn teaching us something about striking another person, namely your parents, that in such a circumstance, your hayav mita specifically and only if you're all saved by him habura. It's what we set up then, if you recall, there was a, uh, there was a, ta- there was a, uh, uh, different coordinates, if you will. There was not doing the habura at all, wrongful, shouldn't be doing so, but not liable to death penalty. Actually putting a, a parent to death through striking, obviously liable to death penalty of Saif. And then the middle of it is what we're really dealing with. That's a makeh etavivitimo. It's when you did a habura. That's when you're hayav mitat chenek. Then the Mishnah concludes with another halacha that we just recently mentioned, and that is zehomer bamekalel mi bamakeh. There's a severity. There's a humra by a person who um, uh, curses a mother or father uh, more more than a situation where they strike. Uh, mother or father. How so? Both are forbidden. Both are punishable by death. The difference is if a person were to curse mother or father after death, even if it's after death, certainly during their lifetime, you're liable to punishment. However, when it comes to makeh, we distinguish and we say only during their lifetime, not afterwards. As Rashi explains, as he explained, we mentioned at the end of class yesterday, it's only a technical reason why we distinguish. It's true, ultimately speaking, it is a severity by Mekalel more than Makeh, but it's a technical reason. They're both forbidden. You shouldn't be doing either one. But the only way, as the Mishnah told us, to be liable for Hayuv Mita by Makeh is when you make a Habura. The only way you're going to bruise the individuals while they're alive and in turn, le'ahar mita, from a technical loophole, if you will, uh, you get out of death penalty for it to strike a mother or father. I wouldn't suggest it naturally. Uh, What's that? 
That's the point. But you still were makeh. In other words, it's not. Understood. But, uh, you know, in other words, it, it, let, me, let me state it differently. You did it with... Yeah, but I, I, got, I understand your angle on this. But you're, you're suggesting, which, I'm, which from my understanding of Rashi is not so, you're suggesting the habura is the definition of the severity of the action. Whereas I'm understanding it from Rashi, it's just a sign of how severe your action was. So I can strike just as hard during lifetime as after lifetime, and they're the identical action which quote-unquote should bring death penalty. However, there just wasn't blood after death because the person was deceased. So, so what I'm saying is it's a technical loophole because the action was the same. It's not per se that you brought the blood. It's this, it could have and would have during their lifetime. But, I, and we're not going with that. We're not going with it, but I'm calling it a technicality. I have that, my understanding of that is in the other direction. That's a technical loophole which is more severe, potentially. Keep in mind, it wasn't so clear in the Gemara. Uh, in other words, that debate is, what, is, is, is what's causing my conversation here with Nathan. The debate in the Gemara with regards to letting blood or doing it l'shem refuah, uh, the fact that the Gemara permits l'shem refuah, why should it be permitted l'shem refuah? You are drawing blood, ultimately speaking, because it's not per se about the blood. The blood is what we would call in halachic, you know, yeshiva terminology, the siman, not the siba. It's the sign of what you did. It's not the reason of, you know, why we're, why we're prosecuting you, so to speak. All right, anyway, says the Gemara Tanur Rabbanan, it's a Beraita, which uh, elucidates uh, some of these halachot. Again, with regards to those first two halachot that we saw in the Mishnah, we to a large extent already dealt with them. I have to just fill them out a bit. Tanur Rabbanan, a Beraita, Aviv ve'imo kilel. So if you'll, for a moment, look at this pasuk together with me, in my Gemara, it's on the left-hand side. I just read the whole pasuk. Ki, ish, ish. So first and foremost, it's a little unique when the Torah and the Gemara will, of course, pause for reflection on those words. When the Torah mentions words like that, ish, ish, why did you need to mention in such a fashion? Just say, ki ha-mekalel, or ki asher yekalel et aviv What's with ish, ish, the double mention of man, man, so to speak. We saw this to a certain extent earlier on Daf Samech Vav, and we'll, we'll deal with it. But anyway, then it says, Ashe yekalel et aviv mot person who does so gets put to death. Lastly, says the Pasuk, Avivi imo kilel, damavbo. No, that's just reiterating. That's just redundant. It says, you curse your mother and father, damavbo, and as a result, you know, blood is upon you. In other words, you're liable to death penalty. Why is it that the Pasuk doubly states the same thing? That's what the, this Beraita is really picking up on. You see, the Beraita begins with the last words in the Pasuk, not with the first words. First words in the Pasuk are stating the law. What's the law? Ish, ish, period. So now why are you reiterating? Why does the end of the Pasuk, as our Beraita begins with those words, state, Why are you mentioning those words again? Explains the Beraita. You know why those words are reiterating? Why we repeat those words in the Torah? Those words are repeated to tell you it's not only in the lifetime. That's the first words of us. Even after death, because it's possible, 
v'hayav v'mekalel, because you maybe, had you not had a pasuk that explicitly told you that the cursing of parents is a liability, is, uh, is prosecuted by death, both before and after death, you would have likened it to makeh. You would have perhaps said the same way the Torah says makeh and mekalel or hayav mitav, you did it to your parents. Or maybe you would have made what's called a mamatzinu. You would have uh, likened them to one another like this. I know very clearly the fact that you can't put a habura in a parent after death means that you're not hayav after death. I would have furthermore extended it and said, Mekalel, cursing a parent as well, is only from lifetime, in lifetime. That's why the Pasuk, according to the Spirit reiterates, not only during lifetime are you liable if you were to curse your parents uh, to death, but even after their lifetime. And furthermore, says the Gemara, you would have potentially, uh, even logically said, wrongfully, that the same way makeh is only hayav during lifetime, so to mekalel. How so? Logically, kalvahomer. Kalvahomer, of course, means a logical deduction. How so? Uma makeh she'asa bo she'lo be'amecha ke be'amecha lo chiev bo le'achar mita mekalel. She'lo asa bo she'lo be'amecha ke be'amecha enodin she'lo chiev bo le'achar mita. And this Kaldachomer goes as follows. It, it uh, derives from a law that we mentioned yesterday. At the bottom of the page, if you recall, we talked about The Pasuk, if you recall, stated Don't curse out. As we explained, the Gemara earlier told us, it's a reference really to everyone. What's the statement? Any person in your nation don't curse. Now, the derasha of the rabbis was, It's specifically and only referring to a person who acts as part of your people. Continued the Gemara, If you recall, furthermore, it's only for someone potentially who's going to be alive. Well, that being the case for the first derasha that we have, that's a halakha that the only time you're liable for cursing another is if they're not a rasha. Again, if the person is not already in court, in Betin, determined to be a rasha, they transgressed halachot explicitly in an egregious fashion. If they're not that, if they're one of the people in this room, good, upstanding citizens, ah, then there's an isur to curse them. If, however, they're in such a circumstance where they've already been in court, found to be guilty of a halakha that determines them to be a rasha, in such a circumstance, I don't want you going and cursing them, but if you were to curse them, there's no problem prohibition from the Torah. That's what we call You're not hayav it's a mitzvah lo It's a, it might not, yeah, it's, it's certainly not a chayuv mitah. Well, that being the case, that's a halakha which is explicitly in the Torah, only mentioned by mekalel. It's not mentioned by makeh. Striking another, it seems, even if they're a rasha, even if they were in court and were found to be a wicked, uh, rotten person, nonetheless, you're not allowed to strike them. It is true, Rashi points out, we did have on the first side of the page, and we'll have it again later on on this Amud, a hekesh, that's right, interpreted in one of two ways, either the classic hekesh, two pis- or it's not one pasuk, it was two pesukim separated by one, or what Rashi explained was a mamatzino, logical, but this beraita over here is not assuming like that. It's assuming that we actually distinguish between the two. Only time your hayaf and mekalel is if the guy, if the woman is not a rasha. 
when are you hayav from makeh, even if they are rasha? If I'm to weigh, weigh, scale those two prohibitions, one against the other, which one's more severe? Clearly, makeh is more severe. Why is it more severe? It's to everyone. You're not allowed to hit anyone. You're not allowed to strike anyone. Mekalel, you're only not allowed to strike the person who's not determined to be a rasha. Uh, that being the case, says the Gemara over here for us, you would have furthermore said, if I already know that the Torah seems to be telling me that mekalel is more, excuse me, is less severe than makeh, and makeh is not even hayab le'aharmita, it's the more severe one. You're liable for death, for, for penalty, irrespective of who you struck. And nonetheless, after death, after a parent, you're not hayab. So certainly mekalel, mekalel, mekalel is more lenient. The Torah says you could sometimes be mekalel people. Le'aharmita is also not going to be liable. That's the kaldachomir in the Gemara. I, I, I understand. So, you know something? This might point us in the direction of Nathan, right? It might say that the blood is, is, is more integral than I'm making it, but also, or alternatively, once we have a pasuk that tells me otherwise, it might be the answer. So you understand, this is all a circle, which, which I, I rewound in my mind several times uh, this morning. When you strike another person, the Torah equates. It says it's the same. Whether the person is awesome or not, you're not allowed to strike them. But nonetheless, you're not hayav. If you strike a parent, where the Torah does distinguish. It says they're not the same. If the person's not amecha, if he's not also amecha, you're allowed to curse them. Enodin is not logical. It's not a That's the Beraita's conclusion for us that the Pasuk's reiteration, the Pasuk's repetition of these words, are necessary to tell you that even after death, a person is liable for hayuv, a person is asur bekilelat avivimo. Alright, what have we thus far said? Not even if it's, even if he is a rasha, haka'a is asur, kelala is mutar. That's the statement. How do we know kelala is mutar? Then I see be'amecha lotaor. Assuming we don't have what we mentioned yesterday, hekesh, we're distinguishing between the two. That's what the Gemara has. So again, when all the, you know, Yes, repetition is to tell you that kilala is relevant even the Hamita. You say, of course it is. No, you would have thought to learn from Makkeh, either just to say the equivalent or to say Makkeh is more Hamur and it's still not Hayav la Hamita. Uh, that being the case, the Beraita then sets forth for us a Pasuk and we have now the Halakha. We saw in our Mishnah, we know that kilala is more severe than Makkeh because Mekalel is, is liable even after death. The Gemara now, for the next several lines, gets into a technical back and forth conversation about this dirasha. Not so much about the fundamental. The fundamental is going to remain. We have a Mishnah. The Mishnah tells us, Mekalel is hayav la hamita makeh is not. We're going to deal with the technicalities, you know, the uh, underwritten, the, the script that's a, a small written script on the bottom of the uh, legal document. So that's what we're going to do now in the Gemara. Yes, Sam. That's what we talked about yesterday. The answer is yeah. I mean, I don't want you doing. I don't want anyone doing it. But the answer is yes. They're not liable to death penalty if the parent is not also maase amnecha. What's that? Are they liable for anything? No. No. 
No. Uh, oh, you said curse or, or, or strike? Makeh, this Gemara, this Beraita is distinguishing. It's saying Makeh, you're not allowed to, even if they're Rasha. The Gemara earlier with that Hekesh, what the Gemara later on will say, it's a Mahloket, will say one opinion would say that you're not allowed to, even when they're not Ose Ma'azamecha. So the answer, like everything else, is it's complicated, it's Mahloket. Anyways, yeah. Which? This is all our aforementioned conversation in this Beraita is understood. Says the Gemara without yet filling us in on the details. It gives us the direction we're going in. The Gemara says. Uh, clearly, this pasuk, which we began the day reading, the pasuk was ki ish ish mot yumat. Those are the first words in the pasuk. We said, what's the point of the extra words? Avivi imo kilel damav bo. Those last words are extra words to teach you that kilalala hamita is hayav. That's understood if, uh, in, in your and I conversation, we assume those are extra words. If alternatively, you have some other dirasha, some other law that you're deriving from those words, you in turn, I, turn, I say to you, mm, you learned another halacha from those words. How do you know the words of our Mishnah, that mekalela hamitaz hayav, right? In other words, that's what the Gemara says right now. So as the Gemara, it's understood, we have two opinions, two names over here. Rabbi Yonatan de miyater, miyater, we see the word yoter. He has extra kera, he has the extra words in the pasuk. That's the second part of the pasuk, for the opinion of Rabbi Yonatan is extra. Everything that we mentioned until now stands, I understand. The problem is Rabbi Yoshia, when we get into the technical underpinnings of what you do with which word and whatever, he already explains those those words for something else. It means that we're going to turn to the Bioshia and we're going to say, so according to you, how do you know the words of our Mishnah that Mekalela Hamita is also Hayab? Says the Gemara, Detanya. What are we talking about? Who's Rabbi Oshia? What's Rabbi Onatan? Detanya, as another Beraita teaches. Back to this Pasuk, Ish, Ish. Let's start with those words. What's with the double repetition of Ish? Matamud Lomar, Ish, Ish. Why is it that the Pasuk tells us, Ish, Ish, man, man? Says the Gemara, says the Beraita, Lerabot, it's coming to include not only a man, but as well, Bat, a daughter, who is Mekalelet, her father or mother, Tumtum, uh, Atum in Aramaic is a reference to something that's covered up. Tumtum means a person whose, whose uh, private parts are covered up. They have neither a male nor a female seemingly a uh, private part. I don't know, we don't have a doctor in the room today, but I don't know biologically how often you find such a reality in today's day and age. But I would Gemara from time to time, a book called Minhat Chinuch by Rabbi Yosef Babad always discusses this. What's the halakha with regards to tumtum? So as we're talking about, tumtum means a person whose private parts are covered up. You don't know if they're male or female. What's their status? Are they allowed to curse their parent? Maybe they have a different status or stature. And lastly, androginos. Androginos is an adragenous, right? As a person who has both male and female organs. What's the halakha in that circumstance? All of those. I hate to equate them, but both a daughter, as well as a tumtum, and an adroginos, all three of them, much like the ish, are liable for penalty and are prohibited, of course, from, as the pasuk says, being mekalela vivimo. Okay, that being the case, again, the pasuk says ish, ish, to tell you, not just a... Uh, 
Uh, in this context, you want it from ish ish? No, ish ish is only adult. That's what they're adult one. He wants to know an adult one. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't. Also, a grandchild. I don't. I don't remember. What's good? Why don't? Why don't? Why don't we do ish ish? Let about ben beno. I don't know. Why is it ish ish? How would you get to? How would you get to androgynos? How would you get to tumtum? So we're being expansive, says Nathan. Being expansive. Why aren't you? Maybe you are. I don't know. They can still be a child. Maybe. 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 Okay, what if they're adult? Right, anyway, says, <laughs> says the Beraita onward, Asher yikalel et aviv etimom. The next words in the Pasuk, as you recall, are, who will, unfortunately, curse their father and mother, it seems to say. Eniela aviv veimom. Pasuk seems to state they have to be mekalel et aviv veetimom. It's both of them. I don't know, same time, but at the very least, both of them. And maybe in the same sentence, again, we're not going to go this way, so I can't tell you what the Hava Amina is really, or maybe it's sentence after sentence, whatever, but the only time you're going to be liable, the only time it's going to have this issue with the Hayyuv, is if you did both. Aviv shelo imo, what if you were mekalel, just your father, not your mother? Imo shelo aviv, or you just mekalel your mother and not your father? Minayin, how do you know that that too is prohibited? That that too is Hayav? Tamud Omar, aviv imo kilel, aviv kilel, Period. Says the Gemara, it goes like this. The last words in the Pasuk help us understand that. Let's read the Pasuk and remember it again. Stop for a second. If you just read those words, what would you say? Maybe it has to be the father and mother. That's why the Pasuk reiterates. To tell you, not when it's both of them together, even when it's the two of them separately. Had you derived that, the fact that the Pasuk needed to reiterate and repeat it is telling you whether it's your father or your mother, or your father and your mother, under all circumstances, you're liable and hayat. What's that? Which vav? Uh, that's, that's where you would have been misled into thinking that it's aviv. And you're deriving that from the continued words. Now that's the Rabbi Yoshia opinion we were referring to earlier. What do, I, what do I mean by that? Rabbi Yoshia then has derived from the last words in the Pasuk a different law. Let's remember what we just mentioned. We're going to learn uh, the Beraita that we began our Gemara today with, learned from those words a different halacha. We learned from those last words where we said, why does the Pasuk repeat itself to tell you that Kilalala Harmita is Hayat? Now, that's not what Rabbi Yoshia does with this. Rabbi Yoshia says it's to tell you that even if it's just the mother or just the father. My goodness, that being the case, Rabbi Yoshia, that's where the direction of our Gemara is going. So the Gemara Haniha for the next opinion, who's apparently going to have those words open, all right. But for Rabbi Yoshia, who doesn't have those words open, who's already learning a different halacha, that Aviv, Shelo Imo, Imo, Shelo Aviv, that you're Hayav, how's he going to explain the halacha, Manchukan Amishtah, that Mekalela Hamitah is Hayav? Says the Gemara, but first, let's finish this Beraitar. Bionatan Omer, Mashma, Shenehem Ke Ehad, Mashma Ehad. Period. Rabbi Yonatan says it's not the way you read the Torah, it's not the way the words in the Torah work. I disagree with you fundamentally, Rabbi Yoshia. When the Torah mentions two people together, it doesn't mean the two of them in tandem unless it uses the word yahtav. Yahtav 
means together. If I say uh, mother and father, I don't mean mother and father, and it must be the mother and the father. It means mother and or father. Unless I say mother and father together. That extra word yahtav is what tells you it's together. In fact, the pasuk over here doesn't mention yahtav. means that at the very onset, just the first words in the pasuk, ki ish isha shei kalel et aviv et imo motimat. Already from those words, you know, aviv shelo imo, imo shelo aviv. Yes. No. Oh, it means you need to honor your mother independent of your father and your father independent of your mother. Quite the opposite. You might have a question on Rabbi Oshiyad. You only need to honor them when they're together as opposed to when they're individual. We're talking about specifically when there's mention of two entities, two beings in the same pasuk. Yes, unless it has the word yachtav, we're assuming that they are independent prohibitions or obligations. And as a result, means independent of one another, you need to honor both of them. Uh, Yachtav is only telling you that you would only, it's, 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 it's in the other direction. Yachtav will tell you you only need to do them when they are together. You only hayaf and mekale when they're together, as opposed to independently. So certainly, the Bion of Hans is easier in Kabed than Mecha. means your mother's the only one around. You have to honor her. Your father was the only one around. If they're together, okay, you have to independently honor each of them. But anyway, says the Gemara over here, so then according to the Bion how are you deriving this halacha that we had mentioned in our Mishnah that we explained from the Beraita of Mekalele Tavivetimola Harmita? We thought from the first Beraita, you're learning it from the final words in the Pasuk, which were Avivimokilel um, Damavbo. However, we just understood that Rabbi Yoshia already derives from those words a different halacha. Minale answers the Gemara, Nafkale mi umekalel aviv veimo motumat. He derives it from an altogether different pasuk, which as well in Sefer Shemot mentions mekalel aviv veimo motumat. So the fact there's a third reference in the Torah, what's that there for? I already know that halacha from Sefer Vayikra. Why do you have another reference of not cursing your parents, said Rabbi Yoshia, to teach you even after their death? Okay, now the, now the uh, fun begins. And so now we turn to the Bionatan. We say, the Bionatan, what are you going to do with that extra pasuk? Bionatan says, I derive from that extra pasuk in Sefer Shemot, which we just referenced. I understand from that that both daughter as well as androgynous, as well as tumtum, all of them are included in this prohibition. We turn to the Bionatan and say, why are you learning it from there? Why don't you learn a vetefukle me ish ish? Why don't you learn it from the pasuk that we mentioned earlier? Ish ish. Answers Rabbi Yonatan, ish ish is not going to cut it for me. I understand fundamentally the words of the Torah differently. You know what ish ish is? Ish ish is like saying any guy who wants. Does any guy who wants mean specifically any guy as opposed to Girl? No, any guy, you know, the guys. The guys always means men. The fact that the Torah says ish, and then ish again, doesn't tell you that it's all inclusive. It just means any guy. It might mean specifically one way or another way, but it's you can't derive from the word ish ish that it's come to be inclusive of others. It might just be a way of referring, and in turn might just mean men, just the way we speak.
ish in, on its own would be subtraction. Ish ish is inclusion. That's the way that we usually do this. If it just said ish, it's telling you ish as opposed to isha. If it says ish ish, it means ish in addition to isha and maybe in addition to others. If it mentioned neither, then we assume it's equi equivalent for both. That's, that's the general principles. Why, you know, yeah. Right? No, no, that, I'm, I was just speaking that out. That's exactly what I was speaking. If it said just ish, it, no, no, wait a second. If it just said ish, the, the Tosafot and Samechvav didn't go that way. They said if it just said ish, it would be just Zachar. If it said nothing, then it's Zachar and Nekiva. Am I remembering it incorrectly? That's how I remember that Tosafot. If it said nothing, if it just has the Sivui. Yes. Lashon, that's right, that's different. But Lashon Zachar means both Ish ve'isha. If it's Ish, if it says the word Ish, it means only Zachar. That's, what, that's exactly what I was articulating. If it's Ish, Ish, so that's coming to tell me more. All right, anyway, it says the Gemara, Velitne, Homer, Bamak. So now that we dealt with that, okay, that's all aside. We dealt with those technicalities a little bit more. It says the Gemara, Velitne, Homer, Bamake, Mi Bamekalel, Shahamake, Asabo, Shelo, Bamecha, Kibamecha, Mashenken, Bamekalel. A technical question on the Mishnah. The Mishnah was trying to weigh and to, uh, to, to um, compare Make and Mekalel. The Mishnah says when it comes to Make, it's less severe than Mekalel. Mekalel is even the Hamita, Makeh is only Bahayim. Uh, why don't you say furthermore, on the flip side, you should say that Mekalel is less severe in a different way than Makeh. How so? Mekalel is only if the person's not a Rashan. He's also Ma'asi Amechav, Ma'asi Be'amechal Ota'or. Makeh is equivalent and applies to all. So as the Gemara again, Velitne, why didn't you teach in our Mishnah, Homer Bamakem in Bamekalel? You made it as if, you want to know which one's the more severe one? The cursor. Well, not so. Well, the hitter also has a severity. They each have their own severity. One has a severity, La Hamita, it's relevant, that's Mekalel. And the other one has that it's all people. That's Makeh as opposed to Mekalel, which is only Ba'amechai. Answers the Gemara, Kasava, we must be working with in our Mishnah that this, there's no difference between the two. Makshinan, Haka'a, Liklala. We must be working with the assumption, as we mentioned on Daf Amud Aleph, that there's such a thing of comparing the two one to the other. To say the same way the Torah says you're only liable when you curse someone who's be'amecha, who's not rasha. So to the haka'ah is only when it's be'amecha. Why are we saying that? Because the Mishnah didn't differentiate. Says the Gemara, okay, lema ke'hanetana'eh. Now that we have such a mahloket, such a dispute, back to your question earlier, Stanley, now that we understand it is a dispute, that it's not simple, maybe we can understand a different mahloket, a different dispute in a different context as reflecting this dispute, which means to say, I understand that uh, first time in my life I'm exposed to the idea of different political parties. I met someone who's a Republican, I met someone who's a Democrat, and then someone says to me, and then I walk into the room, I go, oh my goodness, I figured it out. I'm not gonna put the other one, but I can easily do the Republican. Uh, Morris is the Republican, and uh, I don't know, someone else is the Democrat. In other words, I'm taking the knowledge that I have from elsewhere and then applying it over here. So as the Gemara, le perhaps that machloket about whether we say that makeh and mekalel are the same, that not only is mekalel when it's also ma'ase ammecha, when the person's not a rasha, that you're hayav, 
but also Makke. Uh, uh, whether that's the case, or we distinguish and we say it's only by Mekaleh, not by, by, not, not by Makke, uh, should we suggest that's, that explains another Mahloket? What's that other Mahloket? The Tane Hada Kuti Atam Misuve Al Hakaato, Vi Atam Misuve Al Kililato. The Tanya Idach, I Atam Misuve. Lo al kilalato velo al hakaato. Savrua de kule ama kutim gere emeten, my love behaka miflege, de mor savar makshinan hakaa liklala, mor savar la makshinan hakaa liklala. So here's the brief background, we've talked about it more than once, with regards to these kutim. Kutim are described in Sefer Melachim, Melachim Bet, as people who came from a nation known as Kut, Kuta. Uh, or a land known as Kuta. They were brought in and mixed in the uh, cities of Shomron at a specific juncture in Jewish history, and they converted. The Navi tells us a story about how lions came from God in order to threaten them, and they convert. Was that a proper conversion or not? We'll discuss uh, at a later juncture in this Gemara. But to mention already, there was a conversion. The assumption right now in our Gemara is that Kutim are Gere Emet. It was a proper conversion. Why wouldn't it be a proper conversion? Maybe they did it only by the because of the fear of the lions. They feared that. That's why they converted not a good conversion. Okay, we're assuming they had a good conversion. Well, that being the case, here we have it. These are Kutim who had a good conversion but then stopped following the mitzvot. That we know. They converted initially, rightfully we're assuming. Then they stopped. Ooh, they stopped. How would you characterize them after they stopped? After they stopped, good conversion initially. Initially, amecha, they're part of your nation. Then they stopped, they're sinners, they're reshaim. Okay, that's, that's what we need to keep in mind. The kutim then are reshaim. What do these two beraitot reflect? One beraita says to a kuti, you're neither allowed, you're, you're, you're allowed to both be mekalel and be makil, both curse and hit. The other one says, well, while you're allowed to be mekalel, you're not allowed to be makil. Oh, I figured it out. You want to know what these two bit I thought are reflecting? There's two opinions we mentioned earlier. One opinion is saying that we have a hekish, that the same way mekalel, you're not allowed to curse, specifically and only when he's not a sinner, so to make, you're specifically and only not allowed to be make when he's a sinner. Kutim are sinners. All permitted. I don't want you doing it, but it's all permitted. The other Beraita distinguishes. It says, when does the Torah say it? Torah only says, It only says it by Kilala. The idea of that a sinner is permitted is only by Kilala. That's what the Gemara suggests. Again, says the Gemara, three lines down. Nasi Israel is relevant to all. That the Gemara and Samechdav told us. Kuti, our assumption is they were Gere Emet. However, we know they became sinners. So we're considering Kutim, alternatively Rasha. That's what we're assuming. They're Jews who are not following Torah Mitzvot. Lema, should we suggest Hanetanae, Kanetanae? These. Um, uh, um, authors in a Beraita are uh, uh, a parallel to the authors of the Beraita we saw earlier. Who are these? What, what are you talking about? On the one hand, we have one Beraita. It says in it, One Beraita says, if you're interested, don't be, but if you're interested in 
striking and or uh, cursing a, a kuti, the only thing you're allowed to do is the kilala, the cursing. You're not allowed to strike them. But then we have a, a dissenting opinion, different beraita. Go knock yourself out or knock him out, rather. Uh, you're allowed to not only curse the kuti, but you're allowed to strike them as well. Oh, what's the debate here? What underlies the, that dispute? Savrua, our assumption was at this point, both of the beraitot assume kutim gere emeten. They both assume that the conversion was a proper conversion initially. Even if it was by the threat of lions, it was, they were steadfast. They actually wrapped their head around and they were committed. They then dwindled. So then what are they dis- disputing, these two beraitot? Demor savar, the beraita, which says that you're both allowed to curse and even to hit. Makshinan haka aliklala. It says we equate the two. We do this hekesh business to say not only klala, but even haka is mutar if he's in ose ma'ase amicha. Mor savar, but the first beraita, which we mentioned, disagrees and says, la makshinan haka aliklala. And you don't equate the two. And the only time it's permitted is by klala, because he's in ose ma'ase amicha. Okay, the Gemara will fall off of this. We'll return to this next week.